I'm not into it. I mean, maybe Jen was into it, but I don't really think she was. Well, it worked. Yeah. But you know, Jen, she likes to bounce. <laughs> Back to you, Bob. Hello and welcome to Back to You, Bob, a Dawson's Creek podcast. We're your hosts, Christina and Micah, and this is episode 214, To Be or Not to Be, which originally aired on February 10th, 1999. We're in February sweeps. That was the thing then. <laughs> That's so November's... true. I didn't even think about that. Oh my God. First thing I was like, February sweeps. So February sweeps and November sweeps and May sweeps. That was when the shows had to ramp it up, do all the payoffs, the drama, yeah, it was what dictated the ad sales, so they had to put on their best content to get as many eyeballs as they could to kind of boost their money. Yes. I mean, you remember like the May May sweeps especially, it was palpable because everything was ramping up toward the finale. season finale. Yeah. yeah. Objectively, one of the top three best of the series, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. If you're interested, pause and go watch it and then come listen to us talk about it because it's so friggin' good. So good. What are we drinking on this February 10th evening? (laughs) We are drinking the Suffering Bastard. You will need one ounce of bourbon, one ounce of dry gin, one teaspoon of lime juice, a dash of Angostura bitters, and I just topped it off with ginger beer. It says approximately four ounces. It's interesting. It's tasty. I'm not a huge gin person, so I was a little bit concerned about that. But really, it's just pretty balanced. It's kind of like a, I love a whiskey gingy combo. And this is in that wheelhouse. It's refreshing. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're drinking a suffering bastard. We'll find out why. Yes, we will. Do you want to tell us about the episode? This episode opens in Dawson's bedroom, where Dawson, Pacey, and Jack are working on a scale model of Cape Side to use in Dawson's movie for establishing shots and exterior establishing shots. Jack actually made it for Dawson, and Dawson is very impressed. So if you'll remember from last episode, Dawson and Jack have been bonding. You know, they went on this fishing trip a few episodes ago, and then last episode, Jack's been helping out with the movie. So these two have been getting closer. And the fact that Pacey's dating Jack's sister also helps. But Pacey excuses himself because he needs to go do homework and study. So when they're alone, Dawson tells Jack that his sister Andy has had a profound impact on Pacey. I mean, the thought of Pacey going to do homework is unimaginable almost. Jack says that he actually has to go soon and write a poem for Mr. Peterson's class, but he's not really sure how to write a poem. And since Dawson is such a good writer, he asks Dawson for some advice. And Dawson says that Jack just needs to listen to himself. You know, writing is about opening up. And good writing gives people the opportunity to peek into your world and know your thoughts, something that they didn't know about you before. So once we get into the episode, Pacey runs into his guidance counselor, who is ecstatic and gives Pacey props. You know, Pacey's really turned his academic career around. He just got his mid-semester reports and he has all Bs. Pacey runs into Andy and gives her a huge display of affection. You know, he gives her a big kiss. He lifts her off her feet. He spins her around. Jack and Joey are also there, and Jack kind of gives Joey a look, and she says, absolutely not. Joey does not do PDA. Don't even think about it. 
Back to Jack in this English class, Mr. Peterson's English class, where he had to write this poem. Turns out that Pacey and Jack are in the same class. So Mr. Peterson's used to the old Pacey, the loser, the failure, and he loves to pick on Pacey and bully him a little bit. He's constantly ribbing him. Pacey can't stand it. When Mr. Peterson turns his back, he whispers to Jack that he hates Mr. Peterson. Jack agrees. Mr. Peterson hears this and he does not like it. So he decides to turn his focus to Jack. Then he asks Jack to read his poem out loud for the class. Jack spirals. He says that Mr. Peterson promised that these would be for his eyes only. Mr. Peterson does not care what he said and he asks Jack to read his poem out loud. Jack hymns and haws and finally Mr. Peterson demands it or else. The poem is really hard for Jack to read. He kind of gets through half of it. And it's a poem about a man, and he describes the man in very vivid detail, especially the man's looks and how perfect he is. And Jack talks about how he's scared and feels guilty. And this is all within the context of the poem, but he can't finish and he runs out of the classroom crying. Pacey wants to go after him, but Mr. Peterson will not allow it and tells Pacey to sit down. Now, also, as we know from the last few episodes, Dawson and Joey have a genuine friendship going again. So they're hanging out in the computer cluster, and it's a silly little scene where they're just goofing around. And they overhear a bunch of guys talking about someone crying in English class. Then they mention Jack's name, calling him gay in really derogatory terms. It's clear that the rumor mill has been working overtime on this one, and it has spread like wildfire. Joey is very uncomfortable. Later, Dawson really wants Joey to talk to Jack about this. And Joey is offended that Dawson would use this as an opportunity to cause a rift between her and Jack. And Dawson is offended that she would think that that is what this is about. Dawson is genuinely concerned. While Pacey and Andy are studying at her and Jack's house, Pacey calls Andy out and he says that she's barely talked to Jack the whole day since they've been home. Andy says, you know, she doesn't really feel sorry for Jack. She doesn't think he's gay or anything, but she doesn't understand why he would open himself up to Mr. Peterson's ridicule. He should have known better than open himself up to all of this. She refuses to even acknowledge the fact that Jack could be gay. Pacey asks Andy how she would feel if he were. And Andy says that honestly, she would be disappointed. Pacey cannot believe what he's hearing. When Joey does check in with Jack about the poem, he assures her that he is not gay. It was just a poem. It was not a love poem. If he wrote a love poem about anyone, it would be her. And he just cried because he's been really overwhelmed with all of his family stuff. Now, meanwhile, Jen is kind of on her own island in this episode, but she's been really freaked out about Ty since he took her to a Bible study last week. She's been very distant since then, and he gets very persistent in his pursuit of her, and she finally gives in to give him another chance, and he takes her to a jazz club, he orders some martinis, and she sees a different side of him, and she sees that he has a little bit of an edge. The next day at school, Jack's poem has been printed and taped all over the walls throughout Capeside High. Pacey and Andy are ripping them down everywhere. In class, Mr. Peterson asks Jack to finish reading the poem. Jack cannot believe it. Surely this guy cannot be serious. And that's when Pacey has had about enough. He stands up, he confronts Mr. Peterson, and he says if he wants someone to read the poem so badly, then he will read it. Pacey rips the poem out of his hands and starts reading it aloud, but Mr. Peterson wants none of this. He starts screaming at Pacey. He says that Pacey can go to the principal's office and he's failing him for the year. Now, as we know, academics in school have become very important to Pacey, and this enrages Pacey even further. He says that he's gotten B's or higher in every test in this class this year, and he has no right to fail him. Mr. Peterson says that he's been waiting a long time to fail Pacey, and he will do so with great pleasure. Mr. Peterson calls Pacey a failure, says he's destined to always be a failure, and says teaching people like Pacey is like spitting in the face of the entire educational system. And that is when Pacey 
spits in Mr. Peterson's face and says, that is spitting in the face of the entire educational system. So Pacey later is told by the principal that he must apologize to Mr. Peterson the next day or he will be suspended, and that will go on his permanent record. Jack and Pacey run into each other, and Jack is not exactly grateful to Pacey for all of this. Jack blames Pacey for making this a bigger spectacle than it needed to be. Andy and Dawson are adamant that Pacey should apologize. Just get it over with and get this thrown away. But Pacey is standing in his morals. Mr. Peterson is awful, and Pacey refuses to let him get away with this behavior towards students any longer. The three of them walk smack into Joey and Jack in the hall, and they all witness the same thing at the same time. A gay slur, the F word, has been spray painted in red all over Jack's locker. There's a whole group of people watching, and everyone waits to see what Jack will do. Jack pretends like there's nothing wrong, and he walks right up to his locker. And that's when Joey, feeling horrible for Jack, approaches him and does the one thing she said she hates doing at the beginning of this episode, PDA. She plants a huge kiss on Jack in front of everyone to prove to all of them that Jack is not gay. So Jack and Andy finally get some one-on-one time. And she said, you know, when she first heard about all of this, she felt resentment towards him. Because for the first time in a very long time, everything was finally going good for them as a family. You know, he is Joey. She is Pacey. Mom has been doing okay. And they really did not need this. And she didn't think any of it was true. But then she read the poem. She kept one of the ones that she tore down. She says, it's a really beautiful poem. He's a great writer. She didn't realize how scared he was. And no matter whether gay or not, she'll love him no matter what. So Pacey refuses to apologize. And he takes the suspension. He says that he respects the educational system, but he does not respect men like Mr. Peterson. Later that night, Pacey confronts Andy on her lack of support for him in this. It's a pretty ugly fight. She says she's been supportive of him through everything. And this one little thing that she doesn't support him on, he's going to hold this over her head like this. And this is when Pacey breaks down and he says that all of this was his fault. If he wasn't talking crap on Mr. Peterson, Jack wouldn't have gotten involved and Mr. Peterson wouldn't have targeted Jack. Pacey walks home. Andy really wants to go with him. And Pacey says he does not want Andy's company. After seeking some advice from Dawson, Joey decides to just bite the bullet and just flat out ask Jack if he's gay. He says he's not. He cares very deeply for Joey. And they vow to move past this. They kiss. And that is where we leave them. However, this is a part one of two. So we'll just have to see what happens next week. And they kiss. But there's a very knowing look on the face of Jack when we come around to his to his side. Side. It's ominous. It's ominous. Very ominous. It's a fantastic episode. And it was written by Greg Berlanti, who we've talked about at length. I did a little bit of digging and I found an interview that he did with the Paley Center, which is a How do you describe the Paley Center? It's a place that celebrates TV and films, and they host a lot of panel discussions, screenings, things like that. Panel discussions, not to be confused with art lectures. Anywho, they did a conversation with him just kind of about his career and about everything that he's done. And they touched briefly on Jack's storyline and kind of his impact on Jack's storyline. So... He said that when he signed on to this season of Dawson's Creek, that storyline was already in the works. They had already hired Kerr Smith, but they had not yet told Kerr Smith where his story was going to go. And it was all Kevin's idea to kind of have Jack's arc be about him coming out and then where it ultimately goes, which we won't talk about just yet. But Greg joined the team and Kevin approached him about being the one to take this on his coming out story. And Kevin knew that writing these stories was something that was really important to Greg and that he would handle it with care. Both of them were professional working out men. 
they tackled it together, but Greg ultimately wrote the script. And he said that it's been discussed in media before that this was a story that either he went through or that he knew, but he confirmed that it was actually a friend of a friend who kind of outed himself in the same way where like a piece of something that he wrote, he didn't even realize was going to be interpreted a certain way. And then ultimately that's how he came out to a large group of people. So that's where they took the inspiration from. And the interviewer was like, you know, how did you react to the impact that the storyline had? And he's like, honestly, there was no immediate impact. There was no social media. There weren't people, there was no way for people to kind of have a social conversation about this stuff. He said he thinks Kerr got it the most of people coming up to him and kind of just telling him their stories. But he realized the following decade that there was a generation of people who were really happy to be able to see someone coming out on TV in a way that Greg Berlanti and Kevin Williamson never had. Yeah, I think it makes sense that, you know, Greg was so young. So I think he probably had his finger on the pulse the most of what it was like in 1999 to come out as a teenager. And I think it's kind of true for the 1999 crowd as well, but the internet was so new in 1999. And he was saying in his youth in the 80s, there was no internet. So the his connection to the outside world was television. And in his childhood, a lot of the grounded gay or LGBTQ content was on the news and about the AIDS epidemic. Everything else was either not directly addressed or it was kind of in the in the shadows a little bit. And... He was just happy to be able to put forward a positive gay story. Yeah, he nailed it. We'll dive into it shortly. Who directed it? This episode was directed by Sandy Smolin. He is another great director. He did episodes of Northern Exposure, Life Goes On, Picket Fences, Allie McBeal, Chicago Hope, Diagnosis Murder, One Tree Hill, The O.C., Everwood, five episodes of Everwood. So if I had stuck to my guns in our original Dawson's draft, he would have really had an impact on my best teen drama fifth pick. We've gotten DMs about that. People I know we have. Pain. I'm sorry I let everybody down. I should have I shouldn't have taken your shock so to heart. I should have stuck to my guns. He is with us this episode, one episode next season, and then two episodes in season four. So we will see him again. Praise God. I think he killed it. Oh, it's such a good episode. I feel like everyone's emotions were heightened in this episode. Different emotions too. Like Pacey's was anger. Andy's was a little bit annoyed. Jack's was just complete anxiety. Joey's was kind of jovial for most of the episode. And then... Denial. It was denial. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now we could tell people why we're drinking the suffering bastard. Jack. Jack is the suffering bastard. He's going through it. Who are you giving the guest cast shout out to? I'm giving the guest cast shout out this week to Eddie Mills, who plays Ty. He is with us for last episode, this episode, and then the next two episodes. He has a little arc. He has been in episodes of Full House, Clueless, the TV series, Touched by an Angel, Dead Like Me, House, CSI, New York, Without a Trace, Nashville, Devious Maids. He's been around. The one thing that jumped out to me is he was one of the leads of a 1999 show called Wasteland. Do you have any recollection Mm -hmm. of this show? Yes, of course. It was a Kevin Williamson show. Yeah, it was a Kevin Williamson joint. I don't remember it at all. Oh, I was on ABC, wasn't it? Short-lived. Yeah, it was only 13 episodes. And he was one of the the leads. 
I don't remember him on it. I honestly think it was just like a bunch of 20-somethings living in, I want to say, in New York. Wasteland being like a figurative wasteland, like we're all lost and traveling around this wasteland. I'm assuming that's what it was. He's a good little actor, I think. I know I say that every week about everyone, but it's true. He's a good actor. I have issues with Ty that we will we'll talk about it. Yes, we will. Music what about moment. The music moment. Ooh, we said it in sync. We did. Bye, bye, bye. What stood <laughs> out to you? Why don't you guess what stood out to me? Well, for me, it's Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls. No, that's not mine. I'll tell you why. I saw City of Angels when it came out. Okay. Uh huh. Picture it. It's 1998. I'm seeing City of Angels sobbing my eyes out as Meg Ryan is riding her bike, arms spread. Uh huh. And Iris, the Goo Goo Dolls song. <laughs> I was waiting for the connection because I was like, Slide was not in City of Angels. No, it wasn't. But Iris really took a hold on me. So I went to Sam Goody at the mall and I bought the City of Angels soundtrack on cassette tape. And then Absolutely. my parents were like, you're listening to the same song over and over and over again. So they bought me Dizzy Up the Girl, which is the Goo Goo Dolls album that Slide and Iris and Acoustic Number 3, a previous Dawson's Joint, were all on. And I was obsessed with that album. Sure. Well, it's a great song. But you were supposed to guess what stood out for me. And you just went on your own tangent. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I Smoke by Natalie Ambrulia. It was her second of two hits. Number two of number two. It plays under Pacey and Andy's breakup scene on the dock when they are going at each other. And I was living. And you know what? I think your Little Miss Perfect is in the wrong. Well, we, no, we're getting it. We have to open it and we'll get into it. I have okay, so many okay. thoughts. But I am going to have to actually Google that song because are you sure it was a hit? Yeah. I mean, hit like, you know, it wasn't on the radio, I don't think, but like it was known. Never heard that song in my life. I feel like it had a music video because I could see it. It probably did. You're right. Maybe it was on MTV and stuff. But there also was Only Lonely by Hootie and the Blowfish, please. Yes, that one also stood out to me for sure. And I'll be honest, I do feel like that was a little bit of a mismatch of a song for that scene. I agree. Do you have any past first presents? I feel like all my past versus presents just kind of need to be talked about in the episode. Then let's open it up. You said you think Andy was in the wrong. And so her and Pacey are going for each other at the end, which is when Smoke is playing. Now, what I like about her reaction, she says if Jack were to be gay, she would feel disappointed. And Pacey's like, cannot believe what he's hearing. Oh, my God. What? And then he lashes out at her later and says... You know, I can't believe he didn't support me. She's kind of mad that he took the suspension and he's mad that she didn't support him. And she says, you know, Jack didn't have a choice in this. You know, he he, he cried. That was his reaction. He's going through something. You had a choice. You could have chose to apologize and you didn't. And that's when Pacey flips out and says, you know, it's my fault. I did this. This is me. The way this episode, I truly, and I've like talked about this in the last few days to people, like I don't believe that this episode could be written and aired in 2023 because I don't think your protagonists, your leads are allowed to be flawed like that in a way that was acceptable in 1998. That's why this is also my past versus present. Mm. I don't think your lead characters are allowed to make mistakes like that because they're kind of seen as unforgivable and 
And to me, what Andy's reaction is a really real emotion. I really liked that because someone in my family had a similar reaction when I came out. And that to me is like, I don't think it makes them a whole person. That's how they're feeling. And when you come out, especially in 1998, like it affects the family. And I think everyone's entitled to feel a certain way, like they would anything else that happens in a family. But the fact that she said she was disappointed and the fact that Joey's kind of in denial and thinks it's like a joke and... These are reactions that I really liked seeing that I don't think we'll ever really see again. For instance, I really like coming out stories. And Mm -hmm. whenever I pitch one or whenever I want to do a show about coming out, a lot of the notes that I hear from studio executives and network executives is it's 2023, it's 2022, it's 2024. You know, I've been pitching them for a few years. Coming out really isn't that big of a thing anymore. You know, gay people are everywhere. There's some... Gay person, every family, a gay friend group, every like that's just not that interesting anymore. And I'm just I when I, when I hear that, my blood boils because I always mm-hmm. just think there's new ways to put spins on old stories. And I don't even think it's that old of a story. It's not. You know, imagine if in 1997 you're pitching Titanic and someone said, "Oh, a romance." Like, oh, I don't think coming out has gotten any easier for the people who are coming out. I think it's just gotten more common and more acceptable. So you see more examples of it, but especially in middle America, you know, more conservative areas. If I think a son coming out to a dad in a really conservative family is still a big deal. Yeah. And when I get feedback like that, like coming out, it's no big deal. Like who even wants to see those stories anymore? I'm like me. Cause sometimes when the people come out too fast or it's no big deal or like that, I don't think is super relatable. Although maybe it is. So that kind of makes me check out when things when coming out is so easy. I think it's so individual. And to say that anything is one way is ridiculous. I didn't want to put it in because I was already rambling about the Berlanti interview, but he was being interviewed by uh, another gay man who's about his age. And he said, the interviewer said, in preparation for the interview, he rewatched this episode and the next episode. And he said, I really thought it was going to feel dated. And it didn't. And I think it's because coming out stories are so important and so individual. And so like he was like, I can see that exact same thing happening today. And he said, I think that it's important to keep talking about coming out stories and doing what you're saying, like not doing what you're saying. Because when you're a kid or a teenager or whatever, you're like grappling with it internally I feel kind of ridiculous talking to you as a gay man about this, but like it can help so much to just see it. Mm -hmm. Someone out there is struggling with coming out, even if let's say in 2023 teenagers are coming out to love and it's easy and it's, it's like Heartstopper and all these shows. There's someone who's not coming out to like pride parades and rainbows and butterflies. Or even if it's, if you're coming out to parents who are going to fully love and accept you and it's going to be no big deal, people still feel terrified. Yeah. I once was pitching a project. It didn't have to do with coming out. It had more to do with what lengths the person was willing to go to to keep their gay life a secret. And I had an executive who was gay tell me that he didn't buy that the person would go to lengths to keep this a secret. Feels like that person has lived in Los Angeles for too long. Yeah, that was really infuriating. So I guess what I'm trying to say is while Andy was wrong, I think it was really refreshing to see a character be so flawed and go on that journey. And that's something that I never understood. I would always pitch these ideas at work and 
This is going to make it sound like I didn't get any good. I didn't have any good ideas. I have good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> whenever you pay, whenever I pitch something at work where the character needed to make a mistake to kick off the story, it's you get the, are people going to like them? Oh God. Like we don't know. That's eh. yeah. And again, I work in kids TV, so it was never anything as serious as coming out or, but just even, you know, accidentally bullying someone or taking someone down during a student election, kind of like what Abby Morgan did in that election episode. But to me, I'm like, I, as a viewer, will buy anything that the show and the writer is telling me as long as it's done well. So if you take me on a journey of Joey Potter doing something terrible and she learns a lesson in the 42 minutes and she does something really great at minute 40, then I'm going to be like, oh, I love that arc for her. That was such a good story. But there's been some weird shift to where the people are so concerned that the viewer needs to like the character and they can't. Anyway, I don't want to vent about my job, but it's frustrating for me to see such a good episode of TV and know that episodes like this on network TV are maybe a thing of the past. And we would need to turn to streaming and HBO and outlets like that to do an episode like this, because I would love to make TV like this, but we're just really not given the opportunity to in this climate. That's the truth. The thing about Andy that didn't sit well with me was like, she was just so mad at Jack for... I guess, kind of like shining a light on them a little bit. And she was like, why would he ever write something that could be interpreted that way? And she just got so mad and closed herself off and didn't talk to him for like three days. That to me was what wasn't sitting well. She was victim blaming. Yeah. I mean, she knows that Jack was upset enough to cry. He's going through something difficult and she just completely shut him out. And I was like, come on, that's your brother who you're very close with. Like... I understand you might be having some feelings, but why don't we talk it out? You're right. Part of her reasoning was, you know, he's weird. People think he's weird. He knows that people think he's weird. So why is he going to cry in class and do things that are going to make people think he's even weirder than they already do? But yes, I fully think she was at fault in this episode, but I liked the journey that she yeah. went on because it was really cute at the end when she gave him the poem and said it was really good. And and I really liked that you really thought her and Pacey were going to make up in that dock. Like you really thought that's where it was going and left turn twist how meta is that end of the cold open shot so cool <laughs> so jack built for dawson a miniature cape side for his film and dawson's like with the right lighting and the right camera move this will be perfect it'll look like an aerial shot and so dawson shoots his house basically in the miniature and then it fades to his actual house and then a theme song starts playing before we're even in the main title sequence. Very meta. I think Mr. Milo is so cute in this episode. The guidance counselor. Adorable. I love him. And I remember, I don't remember what episode it was, maybe 208, when he told Pacey that he's basically scum of the earth, failure, failed an aptitude test, will never go anywhere. Oh, yeah. Reluctant hero. So cute. I love when he smiles. And Pacey's like, I don't think I've ever seen you smile. Jack and Andy make out in the hall, which is crazy to me. No, Jack, Jack and Andy don't make out in the hallway. That would be incest. <laughs> which is hot. Casey <laughs> and Andy make out in the hall, which is crazy, I think. It's just, I don't know. That, that didn't go on in my school. You weren't allowed to do it. I don't know. And then Joey says, absolutely not. Don't even think about it. No PDA here. They plant that seed. Joey does not like PDA. Mm -hmm. Fantastic writing. Hell yeah. My next note just says, Ty is annoying as hell. Okay, let's talk about Ty. 
it bothers me that he goes to their school because when he was introduced, it was like, first of all, I thought he was older. The way they introduced it, like they could have mentioned last week that he goes to their school. I don't know. I thought it was weird. But like a completely foreign entity, like, oh, meet this guy I just met through church or something. And I mean, I don't know how old he is in 1999, but he looks old, especially next to baby-faced Michelle Williams and her Bob. It's not a Bob. Pixie cut. Rosemary's baby. And he's persistent. He deems himself persistent, but he is a creep. Yeah. He won't leave her alone. He calls her like four times in a row, three times in a row. I'm not into it. I mean, maybe Jen was into it, but I don't really think she was. Well, it worked. Yeah. But you know, Jen, she likes to bounce. (laughs) (laughs) He says, most women love a persistent guy. And she's like, that's how little you know me. I'm not most women. (laughs) That's how little you know about females. Also, like, I kind of looked like Ty. Like, I feel like I had that haircut. And I definitely wore those, like, sweaters. So maybe he's just, like, triggering me. I see myself in him. (laughs) It made me laugh when Andy and Pacey are talking about Jack. And Pacey says, like, what if he is gay? Whatever. She goes, he's not gay. He's crazy about Joey. And he hates Madonna. (laughs) Made me laugh. There's a list of things she's going through. Yeah. He hates Madonna. He's not gay. Maybe we should... I will read Jack's poem aloud in full since we did not do that in the recap. Good idea. And then we can start talking about Mr. Peterson because I have lots to say. Jack's poem is called Today. Today was the day the world got smaller, darker. I grew more afraid. Not of what I am, but of what I could be. I loosen my collar to take a breath. My eyes fade. And I see him. The image of perfection. His frame strong. His lips smooth. I keep thinking, what am I so scared of? I wish it could escape the pain, but these thoughts, they invade my head. Bound to my memory, they're like shackles of guilt. God, please set me free, free from the pain and this guilt, so that I may face tomorrow, today. Actually, is really good. It is good. So Jack cannot, he makes it through most of it. I think there's a line maybe left. Um, and he cries and runs out. And Pacey wants to go after him. And Mr. Peterson says, not today, Satan. First and foremost. Mr. Peterson, for no reason, decides that Jack needs to stand up and share his poem and that he will not pass if he does not read his poem out loud. Well, the reason is that Jack's talking shit about him to Pacey. Sure, but he's changing the rules of the assignment just on a whim. Which is canon because Mr. Peterson is like study session after school, study session tomorrow, final the next day. He's gone rogue. He's very clearly a psychopath and disliked by the principal and the guidance counselor. But I had a teacher like that. Ooh. Sarah. Sarah will know. She's just miser- like miserable, miserable for no reason. Decides like September 1st, whether they hate you. And then they just ride that That's wave. There's nothing, you could, there's nothing you could do to get out from under their little thumb. I mean, it sucks. It really sucks. And then when they return to class the next day, he says to Jack again, Okay, Mr. McPhee, I think you need to finish reading the poem. And Jack is like, you've got to be kidding me. I like Jack's attitude there. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, absolutely not. And that's when Pacey is like, I'll read it. He starts reading it. And they get into a full on fight. But I like when I like Pacey's reading of the poem, too, because when Joshua Jackson grabs it today, today is the day like any. He just starts casually kind of reading it and. 
hearing the words that we heard come out of Jack's mouth. I liked that. Anyway, yes. They don't have the same weight. He's just kind of like throwing it out. He just wants to get it over with. He's like minimizing it. Like Josh is playing a lot of things in that reading of that poem, I feel. I agree. I agree. Mr. Peterson tells him to stop enough. And they just get into a full on yelling match. And he's like, you have to go to the principal's office. I'm going to fail you. He's like, you can't fail me. And he's like, the hell I can't. I have been waiting to fail you forever. You are a failure. <laughs> like, really crazy stuff. Pacey says something along the lines of, these are the misguided lashings of a bitter, lonely old man. Like, they're digging in. Yeah. And Pacey says, you know, everyone else in this class might be afraid of you, but I'm not. And then Mr. Peterson says, trying to teach someone like you is like spitting in the face of what? The educational system. I can't believe the you educational have it, like, memorized. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like getting that like tattooed on my body. And Pacey spits in his face, which we do see, which I think is so gross. But I love that that was practical. Practical meaning it happened. They didn't fake it. They didn't pantomime it. They didn't cut away. And No, it was real. It was real, baby. It was visceral. It was gross. And Pacey says, no, that is spitting in the face of the educational system. And then he leaves. And it's top notch. It's powerful. <laughs> it's powerful. I was moved. I'm, I'm totally serious. I'm not even joking. <laughs> Where was the honestly, this episode should have won an Emmy. Anyway, if people took teen show seriously, it would have been. Anyway, but what I want to say is I think what's really going on here is that Mr. Peterson is gay and repressed and hates Jack. Could be, but do you think that he thinks that Jack is gay? Yeah, I think everyone kind of I I mean, I think Pacey, that's something I also want to talk about. I think Pacey knows. And I think Jen knows. Pacey is not at all surprised. Like, I don't think he thought that that is how things were going to play out. But he, like, Andy is like, what? No, no. And Pacey's just kind of like, I think maybe we should talk about what if it is true. <laughs> and I think Dawson, I think, I think Jen, Pacey, and Dawson know. Maybe not Dawson. Really? You think? No, I don't think Dawson knows. I think he's so wrapped up in the Joey of it all that he doesn't really. So Pacey and Jen know. I think you're right about Pacey and Jen probably. Yeah, probably. We've talked about it before. There's like no sexual energy between them in a way that doesn't feel standard for Jen, which is weird, a weird, maybe judgy thing to say. But Jen, the way Jen talks to him in that one scene at the end of Sex She Wrote, it's, I don't know, I can't explain it, but the way Michelle Williams played it, and it was only like, what, two, three episodes away. I feel like they knew it was coming. Could be. Some student has made photocopies of and plastered Jack's poem all over the halls of the school. Andy and Pacey go through and rip them down. And then later, Joey and Jack are in the hallway. And Jack is like, I really need your support. I feel like things are going to get worse before they get better. And she's like, of course, absolutely. And then they stop dead in their tracks and look at his locker. And then we cut to Andy, Pacey, and Dawson are also in the hallway. It feels as if everyone kind of sees it at the same time. Mm -hmm. and, and Andy is devastated. I think they all are kind of like, whoa. But she is, Meredith's face is, I just love that scene. Jack, I guess, puts on a brave face and just goes to his locker. Mm -hmm. And Joey comes up and says, kiss me. And he says, why? She says, just, just because, it. just do it. Breaking her no PDA rule in an effort to help him. It's really cute. There's a cute little bonding thing between them in this episode where when she asks him about the poem... She's poking around about the poem, but she's not asking him if he's gay, right? She does that at the end. 
And, you know, he kind of says, since when do you care about rumors? That's not like you. And there's this little thing like they're both pariahs now. You know, she has dead mom, dead in jail. You know, her sister's not married, pregnant, mother now, black boyfriend, you know, all the stuff they cover. So there's a little moment where they're bonding. And it's cute. They're both little pariahs. Like, it's kind of funny the way Jack plays that. That's not like you to listen to rumors. Like, we're both kind of outcasts now. Yeah. So they're actually getting closer. And she kisses him. Everyone's watching. The halls are a buzz. It is the full F word. We see it, which is wild. Also, don't really know if that would happen today. Jarring, for sure. After that scene, Joey goes to Dawson's house. Earlier in the episode, she kind of lashes out at him for asking her some questions about the situation. And now she's like, you know what? Basically, in the earlier scene, she says, you just want to like drive a wedge between me and Jack. Like This is self-motivated. And she goes to his house and she's like, okay, she lets her guard down. She's here as a friend. She's asking his advice. And he says, have you asked Jack if he's gay? She's like, no. He's like, you should. And then she goes to leave, turns around and kisses Dawson on the cheek. And I thought that that was a really weird move. Mm -hmm. She never, never would have kissed him on the cheek when they were just friends. And she's acting like, oh, God, like, how could you ever think about me that way? Like, I don't know. She she definitely doesn't want to lead him in the direction of romantic thoughts about her. I don't know. It was a weird move. I have never kissed anyone on the cheek other than like an aunt. So I think it's weird. I'm from and now again live in New Jersey. And that's like a very common way to greet people is to kiss people on the cheek. Family, right? Friends, everyone. That's weird. That's weird. Yeah. In yeah. New Jersey? I don't know. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> Who? My high school friends, my family, for sure. You kiss your high school friends on the cheek? I don't believe that. Every time I see them. <laughs> that is crazy. Most times. Most times. Yeah. Yeah. When I first moved to LA and I came back here I met someone for the first time, like a like a friend of a friend of a whatever, and she kissed me on the cheek the very first time we met. And I was like, oh, right. This is what we do here in New Jersey. <laughs> like being removed from it for the six months or a year, however long it was until I came back, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a little bit weird, actually. So query, when you say kiss on the cheek, do you mean Cheek to cheek, and you go cheek to cheek, cheek to cheek, cheek to cheek. You're doing cheek to cheek. Your lips are more back towards their ear, and you just go, yeah, right. I don't think my lips have touched anyone's cheek other than my current boyfriend. I don't don't think I've ever done that before, (laughs) ever in the history of the world. I I, I don't think my lips have ever touched another person's. Like even with ants, I just go cheek to cheek, and I don't know. That was my long-winded way of saying I agree with you that it was weird. Especially because before she does it, it looks like she's going to kiss him on the lips. Yeah, I hated it. I hated everything about it. And I I liked that she's sitting on Dawson's bed and he comes over and sits down next to her, but with his back to her. Like, he's talking to her and she's kind of behind him. It's like he's kind of removing the intimacy and then she kisses him on the cheek. I don't know. I... Didn't like it. And at the beginning of that scene, she crawls through his window and he says, you know, you haven't done that lately. And she says, 
this ladder and this window is the only sense of normalcy I have. It's my, you know, that reference that it's her due north that they they make a few of those throughout the series. Yeah. For the first time, I think since the dance. So, well, no, she climbs through. He's not there. The reluctant hero, but he's not there. Yeah. So when Pacey's contemplating the decision, he's afraid that people will be ashamed of him. And he asks Dawson, would you be ashamed of me? Because Dawson wants Pacey just to just apologize and get it over with as well. And Dawson says, in my lifetime, Pacey, I would never be ashamed of you, which is cute. And it was kind of the power that he needed to go in and not give yeah. the apology. That's what he needed to hear. And Pacey asks Dawson if he would have done that. Like, would you have stuck your neck out for Jack? Would you have done what I did? You know? And Dawson says no. Which we've talked about, you know, like there's a few instances already where Pacey does the right thing and Dawson does not do the right thing. Or Pacey's reaction to things, especially in the 2023 lens, are very accepted and encouraged in the PC thing to do. Yeah. I'm thinking of in the uh, Friday the 13th when Pacey sees the couple fighting in the yes. drugstore and Pacey says, should we do something? And Pace, and Ian Dawson's like, domestic squabble, stay out of it. And Pacey wants to defend this woman. But there's a few instances like that. So it's another instance where Dawson selfishly says, you know, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind my own business. It's interesting because Jack references in this episode that Pacey has a savior complex. And I don't really think that he does. I mean, maybe he does and I'm just... Mm-hmm. I don't know. In my mind, Dawson does. But Dawson, I don't know. I don't think there's certainly enough evidence at this point because Pacey hasn't really saved anybody. Right. And I feel like reiterating what you said, everything he's done so far has been something that we would consider like morally correct. And he's standing up on the side of what is right. It was probably a misdirected emotional lash out. But Dawson telling Pacey, I will never be ashamed of you. Like you said, that gives Pacey the assurance to follow his gut. And he goes into the principal's office. He refuses to apologize. He gives a an awesome speech about how wrong it was. And that they come to a place every day at Cape Said High where the teachers are in charge. You know, you tell us when to show up. You tell us when to leave. You tell us when to eat. And we're not allowed to question it. But the behavior of this man is unacceptable. And... You know, we come here because you guys are supposed to know what's right and tell us what's right. But what he's doing is not right. And I respect the educational system, but I do not respect this man who made a student cry and who abuses students every day. So he's taking that L. Gladly, he's taking that L. He sure is. Joshua Jackson killing it left and right, left and right. Oh, my gosh. This is such a good episode for him. The principal or the vice principal and the guidance counselor have small, subtle smiles on their face when he tells off Mr. Peterson. Yeah, there was an earlier line where Mr. Milo tells Mr. Peterson, you know, you're not guiltless in this. You're not innocent in this either. You made a student cry. Later on the dock, the moment when Andy comes to Pacey and we find out that he's the whole time been internalizing this as his fault is just such a it is like top five Pacey moments for me of things that are like stick out in the series burn into my brain is the phrase i always use yeah i mean they didn't go into it, but like the guilt of not only getting someone all of this but, but like the guilt of kind of outing someone absolutely i feel like if this was told if this were told today that would have been the language you know the accidentally outing someone that's heavy for someone like pacey that's yeah you're gonna feel guilty for someone like dawson dawson would be like peace <laughs> deuces <laughs> 
Did you notice the rainbow windsock in the background of Joey and yes. Jack's scene? <laughs> at the ice, at the ice house. house, yeah. I did notice that. I wonder if that was planted or just a happy coincidence. I don't know. That's weird. It's hard to know. I also haven't heard the term windsock in about <laughs> one years, and my mind is blown by that term. That's what it is, right? Yeah, I was going to say... <laughs> I don't even know, like a kite? I don't even know what you'd call it. <laughs> a flag? A flag? I don't know. It is a windsock. Where was your head at with this episode? Then? 1998? Yeah, as like a closeted high schooler. I don't think any of that registered, honestly. If it did, I do not remember it. Because again, I had a girlfriend. I did all of the things. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is I don't think this episode had that big of an effect on me other Mm -hmm. than me knowing this was a great episode of TV and it was one that I watched over and over and over. I almost didn't even have to watch, heard it. I knew the dialogue. I knew all of it. Where was your head at in terms of like through the episode? I'm trying, I don't remember where my head was at at all, but maybe you do. Like, were you thinking that Jack was gay before that final shot? Or were you thinking... Oh, it's a misunderstanding. I think before that final shot, I thought it was all a misunderstanding. Yeah. I kind of feel the same. I kind of feel like, oh, no, it's like Joey's boyfriend. My 16-year-old brain did not comprehend that this person in a stereo relationship could be gay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if he wasn't in a relationship, I maybe would have thought differently. But again, but it was also 1998. Like the viewer now is a lot smarter than they used to be. When we were told something, we just, you know, bought it. You know, we weren't looking for the twists and we were yeah. looking for all of these things. I liked how the last shot of Jack's unsure, ominous face mirrored in the last episode when he says to Joey, as long as you're over Dawson, like that's all that matters to me. And they hug and Joey has kind of the same face. We see her looking a little like, oh, I don't know. In his leading lady. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, look, they're in some rocky waters. (laughs) They are. They're not meant to be. Let's be honest. I guess my questions for you are, what would you have done if you saw your friend being tortured like that by like an authority figure? And then given the option, would you take the suspension or would you apologize? As a teenager, I would like to think that I would stand up. I definitely stood up for a few different people against other students. Mm-hmm. So just like that pattern of behavior, I'd like to think that it would also translate to authority figures. I guess I don't know that for sure, though. I probably would have apologized, though, even if yeah. I didn't mean it. I, I I don't think I would have done either then, certainly. And now, I mean, I would want to think I would speak up to an authority figure. I guess I, I guess it really depends on like what I thought of the authority figure. But I have been in a situation to speak up on my own behalf of something like where I thought I was being tortured by an authority figure and I didn't even report that or do that. So I think it's very different, though. I think it's very different to stand up for yourself or for someone that you care about. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not for everyone. It's probably not healthy for it to be that way. But I think for me, it is. Yeah, I think it depends on how egregious the offense is, you know? Mm hmm. But I definitely would apologize. I'm not that person to like die on the moral hill. Because I just think, look at things in the grand scope and the big picture. Like, is it going to be worth? And I think the answer is always no. And also, 
I have a certain level of like rule follower in me and like authority, respecting authority that is kind of hammered into me. So I could see myself definitely just be like, oh, this is what I have to do. Not even really considering that I could just not apologize. Now, what do you think of Pacey being so angry at Andy that she didn't support him on this one thing that he needs? It's a good question. I feel like it's a very young relationship kind of thing of like they're both in their own worlds and caring about their own thing because Andy is going through it a little bit. Like she made up with her brother. She's whatever. She's trying to support him. And I don't know. But I do see Pacey's side of things of like, I was trying to do the right thing and I was supporting your brother Mm -hmm. and I just needed your support and you couldn't give it to me. I get that. What do you think? I think I side with Pacey. Yeah. It's hard because I see both sides. Like, like we said, 50, 50, like I would just be like, just apologize. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You've done all this work and you're going to throw it away over what? You know, it's a indelible mark. Yeah. I, and I, I did like that. He said, I'm going to go home. And she said, do you want company, basically? And he said, no. Not tonight. Not tonight. And left her there. I kind of liked that. It was, yeah, I really, it's very hard to write stories like this that affects everyone, keeping everyone's points of view straight. And just, I love that ripple effect umbrella story. Absolutely. Great episode. And it's TBC. TBC. Well, shall we do a creek speak? We shall. Let's freaking do it. So this creek speak comes from Sarni619. Hilarious. Five stars. These two hosts are so funny. Sometimes I cry from laughing. I feel like I'm just listening to my friends chatting and I'm a fly on the wall. Five stars. You just read that like it was the most depressing bit of literature you've ever seen. These two hosts are so funny. Sometimes I cry from laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was trying not to laugh. I was trying not to laugh. <laughs> well, thanks, Sarni619. Love that. Keep those reviews coming so we can keep this segment alive, quite frankly. Shall we do a Dawson's Draft? The most stressful time of every episode for me? We should, because I love them. All right. Well, this week, our topic is best pilot episodes. And you are up first. I mean, this one needs little to no explanation. I'm going to choose the pilot of Dawson's Creek. Yeah, dog. Now, usually I don't love to include Dawson's on Dawson's draft because I like to just, this is my chance to give other shows the spotlight and talk about other shows. However, I just can't not pick it. I can't not pick it. It's so good. It was just so different and amazing and I just love it. I can't imagine life without it. I kind of want to take a pilot for a show that I have not seen all of. I think I want to take the pilot of Mad Men. Obviously, the show is about an ad exec in New York City, and he has this girlfriend, and you see his kind of day to day at the ad agency, his relationship with his girlfriend. And then the big twist is he gets home at the end of the day, and he has a wife and a family. And it just sets the scene and the tone for the season that's to come of Don Draper. And I just thought it was a really great pilot. I thought it was like one of those episodes that truly sets up the series perfectly. Yeah, I agree. It was a very cinematic pilot. It's a very cinematic episode of TV. 
very well done, well written, slow. It gives everything kind of a chance to breathe. Love it. For my number two, and honestly, in some ways, I like it better than Dawson's, but I had to pick Dawson's, so you didn't pick Dawson's. Felicity. I watch it numerous times a year. I think it's so well done. I still watch it when I need inspiration and when I look to what a good pilot was and how it was written. And I have to put it very high up on my list. Okay. I think I'm going to take, this is a little bit of a more recent, but I think I'm going to take This Is Us. I watched that pilot and it hadn't been spoiled for me at all. I kind of just went in blind and spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't watched. It follows four storylines, Kevin, Randall, Kate, and then Jack and Rebecca. And there's a big twist at the end that actually the Jack and Rebecca storyline is in the past. And it is the day that those three characters, Kate, Randall, and Kevin are born and they're all siblings. And it was just so well done, so well executed. I was surprised by the twist. It was actually on my list. And I love that pilot. And I watched it with a group of people. And I'm typically, I'm kind of notoriously bad at predicting twists, I would say. But I predicted it. And I I called it out in front of everyone. And I do think they're all more observant people than I am. But there was one scene in the hospital where everyone had bell bottoms on. And I noticed it immediately. And I just, things started clicking. And I was like, oh my God, like they're in the past. They're the parents. And the people I was watching it with, I think, agreed with me. But they were like, I don't know. Let's see. Like they hadn't thought of it until I said it. And then I think they knew I was right. But I also realized the twist like at the perfect time, like right before. So you felt like a genius and it wasn't like it ruined it. And then I got that immediate confirmation that I was right. Yeah. And it was just so good. And that was on my list. Sorry. So for my number three, I'm going to go with Six Feet Under. I think it's another one. It just holds up so well. I watch it. I probably watch that one once a year, a little less than Felicity, but. That's a great one. It is so good. I think I'm going to take The Sopranos. It's a great episode. It sets up, again, like Mad Men. It's like the perfect representation of what the series will be. It sets up his relationship with his therapist. It sets up the dynamics of all of the guys. It's just a really well done pilot. It's iconic. The ducks. Yeah. So for my fourth pilot, I'm going to pick Lost. Ah, that was on my list. I know. I had a feeling it was. So Lost was actually at the time, which was 2004. It was the most expensive pilot ever made up until that time. And it was $14 million. And again, just really cinematic. So impressive, especially for ABC. Love the cast. Like we've said, like no one did season premieres and season finales like Lost. Hooked day one, episode one. I actually did have that on VHS too. Just the pilot and I would rewatch it. It's such a good episode. We said it in the music moments, Dawson's Draft, but Lost had such a good way with cliffhangers, usually season finale cliffhangers. But this pilot really just like got its hooks in you and you were like, I need to know more about what is happening here. What is your fourth best pilot of all time? This is a little bit out of left field, and it's a comedy, which I know we don't usually do. I think I'm going to take The Last Man on Earth. I don't know if you watched that show. It's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good pilot. That pilot sticks with me to this day. The first half of the pilot is just Will Forte 
driving around all of America by himself, thinking that he's literally the last man alive after this virus has wiped out everyone. And you watch him do all of the dumb things that you think about but would never ever do like he fills up a kiddie pool with margaritas and sits in it and drinks them while he's sitting there there are so many dumb things that he does that you would only do if you were completely unobserved i think and he has this sense of like truly being alone and then halfway through the episode he comes to find who he believes to be the last woman on earth that show is amazing if anyone has watched that i mean i tried watching it during pandemic and it was almost too real because the premise of the show is like this <laughs> yeah. disease website everyone except for this one guy he's immune for some reason and then he finds he thinks he's the last one on earth he discovers he's not but i tried rewatching it and it was just a little too more close relatable to than it was before yeah <laughs> for my last and final pick now i'm going to go with a newer show which is a little controversial for me because i'm a believer in even though I love Summer and Turn Pretty and shows like this, I feel like you got to earn your place in history by maintaining it over time. But I'm going to give it to Ozark because Ozark's pilot is so good. It's just so well shot. It's well written, well acted. Lots of twists, turns. It hooks you in immediately. It's another one of those that like shows you what the show is going to be. Yeah, you know, right what it is. And it keeps finding ways to reinvent itself. And it's just very an impressive show. And not at all what you think you're going to tune in for when you think of like Jason Bateman and Laura Linney and people like that. Yeah, that's a great show. Great show. I'm torn for my last one. I have a couple left on my list that I think deserve a spot, but I'm, I think I'm going to take Breaking Bad. It's another one of those that sets up the series perfectly. We're with this guy. He's so clearly just like in a rut in his life. It's his 50th birthday. They're doing the same thing every year for every birthday. He's a high school teacher. His life is very mundane. He comes up against this cancer diagnosis and then shit just goes off the rails. And it happens so quickly in that first episode that you're like, oh, wow, I want to keep watching this. The first season admittedly was a little bit, it wasn't a slog by any means, but it was definitely a slower season. But then once the series picks up steam, it's like incredible. And you you know what you're getting into with that pilot. There's so, so much crazy stuff happened that you're like, whoa, this took a turn. Yeah, I really love Breaking Bad, especially season one and two. It's so good. This is a great list. My five are Dawson's Creek, Felicity, Six Feet Under, Lost, and Ozark. My five are Mad Men, This Is Us, Sopranos, Last Man on Earth, and Breaking Bad. It's going to be tough, I think. I mean, I always say that, but then most people said with you. No, that's not true. Usually they're like, I was going to pick Christina, but I actually cannot stand that one thing that she picked. (laughs) So I'm going with Micah. Well, that's Dawson's draft. All right. Well, next week is the second part of this two-parter. Which is called? That is the question. We will be drinking the Hamlet. It is vodka, Campari, and orange juice. We're keeping it easy. Keeping it easy, baby. That's the name of the game. Exciting stuff. Can't wait to see what happens. Can't wait for next week. Because as much as I knew this one, like the back of my hand, I think there's parts of next week that I don't remember so vividly. For some reason, this one had a lot of the memories, like the spitting, the poem, the doc scene. I I remember the closing scene of next week, but I don't remember a lot of next week's episode. I don't think so. I'm excited to kind of see it with fresh eyes. Awesome. Looking forward to it. 
All righty. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Okay, bye.